Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Editor-in-Chief of ACG's magazine, Middle Market Growth. My guest today is Jessica Robinson, co-founder of the Detroit Mobility Lab and President and Executive Director of the Michigan Mobility Institute. We're speaking today in Detroit on the sidelines of the Great Lakes ACG Capital Connection, where Jessica spoke on a panel this morning focused on mobility and disruption in the auto industry. Jessica, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So let's start by uh, defining mobility. This is a word that we read a lot about. I think it means different things to different people. So I'd love to hear how you define mobility. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And, you know, we talk about it here in the region a lot. What is automotive and what does it mean to be mobility? Um, So in the panel, uh, we each had a little bit of a different perspective, but we talked generally about mobility starting with the movement of something. Traditionally, we've talked about it as people or goods and the technologies that enable that movement. But at the Institute, we really have spent some time thinking about this this past summer because when you think about educating people and engineers in particular for mobility careers, we don't have the luxury of being loose with that definition. We need to say what's in scope and what's out of scope. And so we started with um, movement or transportation, and then we looked at what moves um, in, in mobility. And so people and goods, yes, but we also think mobility includes a movement of data or information, potentially energy. And then also um, we talked about um, livestock or our food uh, supply as well. It's something that in other parts of the Midwest I think is much more um, prevalent, but not always here in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And then the other piece that increasingly we're seeing is in these business models and creation of value in new ways, there's also this broader, almost a social expectation of doing good or enabling movement in in a better way. So yes, efficiency, um, but as increasingly as much around access or um, efficiency in terms of environmental impacts as well. Can you describe the Michigan Mobility Institute and and its focus and and how it came about? So the Michigan Mobility Institute is the first initiative of the Detroit Mobility Lab, which I co-founded alongside my business partner, Chris Thomas. And the Institute's focus is really on talent as an enabler of mobility businesses today and into the future. Mm -hmm. And so as a nonprofit, our focus is on um, increasing the talent pipeline for future mobility careers. And so the way we do that is by bringing together education partners and industry voice to increase the talent pipeline, the total number of people that are entering careers in this industry, but also making sure that they're entering or transitioning careers in this industry with the right skill set. Mm -hmm. So that's where we work a lot on what are engineering jobs of the future to make sure that as we're boosting the pipeline, we also have people skilled in the right ways. And so it sounds like it's a mix of both maybe recent grads getting into the industry as well as people who already work there looking to upskill? Yes. And here in, in Michigan, and I would say the Midwest more broadly, because of our design and manufacturing heritage, we are lucky to have a strong human capital pool of engineers. Michigan um, is rightfully proud of the fact that we have the largest concentration of industrial engineers 
and mechanical engineers anywhere in the U.S., potentially in the world. Mm-hmm. But as we look to the future, we see the need for a new type of engineer, a mobility engineer, mm-hmm. if you will, and that requires um, a hybrid set of skills. So starting with that design and manufacturing base, but then you have to layer in a comfort with um, software, data, and then also it's a mindset shift, which is new business models require being comfortable going um, in directions that maybe the path to profitability isn't as clear yet or the design of a, a vehicle or a mode is going to be different. And so we think that um, that's part of it too. And that's what we've heard from our industry partners is they want people who understand that shift. And that's what makes um, these jobs of the future a little bit different. We keep hearing about the fact that we're in a historically tight labor market right now. In that environment, is it difficult to make a case for why someone should upskill? Yeah, that's a great question. So historically tight, yes. And what ultimately led me to be so compelled by this work to actually leave my corporate job and and start this new organization was because it's historically tight, um, yet we know the skills are changing. And so um, for years now, we've heard about the need to kind of engage in lifelong learning. And, and I think that that is coming to fruition now, particularly with engineers. In the automotive space in particular, there are vehicle systems that, because of electrification or connectivity, are fundamentally changing. And so some of those designs and jobs, they're just not required anymore. So Mm. in some regards, there's not that luxury anymore. Um, But I also think there's a shift happening that we need to remember, which is uh, automotive again, for so many has been supply chain and manufacturing. We believe mobility is fundamentally tech. Hmm. And so the jobs that are are required there to power those types of businesses are different. And so people will need to transition um, to, you know, basically remain viable in their own careers. But we think, again, they can. Hmm. And there's a benefit because they have the experience uh, working in the industry. They're already familiar with so many of the processes that they can make that transition easier. Hmm. And can you talk about some of the specific skills that are missing right now within the labor force in mobility? Yeah. So the the largest single area is on um, computer software engineering. Hmm. And that's both on the application development or um, on the on the back end of software and then also the the systems and the architecture uh, for both vehicle design but also the interoperability of vehicles and services in a broader environmental mm-hmm. context so um, being able to do um, software architecture network architecture adding in connectivity and then a cybersecurity layer as well. That's that's huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also increasingly a demand for um, people that are able to manipulate big data and data sets that maybe, again, historically haven't been part of automotive. Great in terms of vehicle forecasting and consumer demand, um, but all of the mobility services that we have now are, are potentially throwing off so much more information that can be used to, to make the service better, more reliable, whatever the case may be. So data is the second. And then the third is going back to this idea of a mobility engineer. Um, when we looked at 
the, the labor market with both software and engineering, we believe that those mobility engineers kind of exist in the middle between the two. And um, as much as possible, we want to help the, the core engineers, whether it's electrical or mechanical or even civil, move closer uh, toward their software and system counterparts because mobility is really at the intersection of the two. And then the, the last piece kind of under all of that is that mindset that I was talking about, comfort with ambiguity, um, but also a familiarity with the fact that business models will be very different. Um, in tech, we talk a lot about something as a service, software as a service. Mm -hmm. Increasingly, we talk about mobility as a service. Okay, fine. That impacts the design and lifetime um, utilization of a vehicle. And so the engineers have told us that they want to understand how the units that they're developing will be deployed in the real world because the demand on them is fundamentally different in a service model versus you or I um, purchasing and owning a product. Are we seeing the skills gap impact the growth of startups and mid-sized companies in mobility? Is the ability to attract talent something that's holding them back? Or is it a challenge that you know is, is a little bit further down the line that we expect to see later as these companies scale? Yeah. So when we looked at, at the figures and the trends, um, we looked at today through the next 10 years. And there is today um, a delay in hiring um, across the U.S. because of an inability to find talent uh, in some of these software and increasingly some of the engineering roles. Mm -hmm. So the employers tell us that the time to hire is, is, is too long. So there's a lag there, which is impacting the, the rollout of technology. Um, the other area where I think we're seeing it is this generation of, of software developers and engineers, they they're, they didn't come out of university as mobility engineers, if you will. They're roboticists or they're software developers. They've moved into the domain. And as, as folks have moved in, there's also a lag in ramp up in terms of the internal business unit, maybe at a, at a large OEM or even a supplier standing up and figuring out what they want to do. So a second kind of lag or inefficiency. Mm. Um, but the biggest is this just there's a gap in terms of younger people coming out of university for the number of jobs that we think we'll see in the next decade. And so we talked on the panel about this gap. We believe there's at least 100,000 new jobs that will be created by mobility in the next decade. And that's both at the professional level, but also the skilled trades level. And so if we don't boost the number of people that are acquiring these skills, either as new university grads or transitioning professionals, that lag will have an impact. And it could be just slower time to market or potentially new innovations that um, don't even see the light of day because you don't have the creative minds working on those problems. And what's going to attract someone to the mobility space? I mean, you mentioned that these are fundamentally tech jobs and there's a lot of you know, tech applications also competing for talent. So what's the... What's the compelling case for someone to go into mobility? Yeah, we think mm -hmm. shifting that perspective is actually it's, it's part of our mission. Mm -hmm. And particularly here in the Midwest, families have been connected for generations to manufacturing. In some cases, 
there's a hesitancy or maybe maybe even a misperception about these types of careers. Um, in some cases, we we know that people are attracted to it because they're still car people, um, their grandfather or their father, you know, sometimes others in the family, they've still been working on vehicles in the garage. So they love the idea of building something that moves. Hmm. Um, in other cases, and particularly recently with some of the, the young folks I've been around, you know, they talk about mobility being an enabler. And so when they want to work on big problems that are connected to meaning and will have a lasting impact, shaping the way we move is one of those. Mm -hmm. I think there's a little bit of disillusionment about just another kind of social media tech company. Uh, and so being connected to something more but tangible and again, potentially meaningful, I do believe is also driving people forward. Um, I recently was with a group of MBAs and, you know, we, it was a, auto and mobility club. And I said, you know, what would you tell all of your fellow MBA students that aren't in this room? Why is it so interesting? And that this one person said, in this industry, mobility, there's every business problem you could ever want to huh. solve, whether it's financial or operational, standing up new ventures. And so the with that lens, um, it's it's kind of unending. Um, for me personally, I'm very much driven by the fact that I do believe mobility is connected to everything else, whether it's supply chain or cost of insurance or the design of our cities. And so I think as a, as a, a lever within a broader set of technologies, it's a really powerful one to um, get to play with. So you persuade someone to pursue a career in mobility. How then do you keep them in Michigan? And is that part of the Institute's focus even? We hope so. Okay. Yes. Um, and, and the work that we're doing, um, you know, we see very much as complementary to the existing educational offerings that we have here in the state and in the region. Um, so much so that we're partnered with Wayne State and the College of Engineering to uh, look at a suite or a cluster of degrees and learning opportunities for these mobility careers. Um, as I think people here at the conference this week will have seen, um, Detroit is not what it used to be. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of opportunity for good quality of life here. So whether it's kind of attracting people, we th I I'm personally having had this experience, if you come and see it, I think that's a big part of it. Mm -hmm. But also growing our own talent here is really important too. And that's why Wayne State in particular, we're really thrilled to be working with. They're a tier one research university, well connected to the community. Um, and they have a, um, a graduation retention rate in terms of students staying in Michigan post-graduation um, that is um, better than many of the other schools in the state. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about growing our own, our own talent, that's, that's really key for us. Training and talent seems like one, while super important piece, it's one piece of this equation. There seems like there's other challenges to mobility, internet connectivity, transportation infrastructure, regulation, mm -hmm. major one. You know, are there areas that you would point to as requiring a public policy response if the U.S. is going to be a leader in mobility innovation? I think that there's a tremendous opportunity for collaboration. Um, my prior mm -hmm. work 
very much was focused on the intersection between the private sector and working directly with the public sector and communities uh, as constituents to shape the deployment of our services. I think that policy, obviously continuing to invest in education is going to be critical, mm-hmm. um, both K through 12, secondary, post-secondary, uh, all the way through lifelong learning, if you will. Um, we're starting to see some movement around 5G uh, here in the US, which depending on who you ask, is critical for future mobility services or a very important enabler. Even if you're in the important enabler category, I think that that will continue to be a driving force. And then I think the other is continuing to make sure that uh, something I take very much for granted is my ability to access the world um, from my mobile device. And for families that are challenged with income or live in a rural area where they don't have that luxury, um, it does limit the services that they can utilize. I was in rural Colorado last week and needed to get to the airport. I, while there were ride-sharing services, I couldn't hail one hmm. because I didn't have internet connection where I was. Um, so again, things I take for granted every day. Um, and then the last is, I think there are new forms of infrastructure that um, we're just starting to imagine. So if, if you can envision a world where in cities and in urban environments, there's beyond line of sight drone flight, which is an expansion of current flight rules, um, that's going to require a virtual digital infrastructure or a set of rules about where those vehicles can travel above our heads. Some think it will just mirror the roads. In some cases, that's that's inefficient. Um, I think there's an interesting question of will that infrastructure burden the cost of building that infrastructure out sit at a city level. Will cities think it's, you know, beneficial to invest in that now versus, you know, state or, you know, there's regulation concerns between federal and state as well. Hmm. Um, but it is a new type of infrastructure that a city may have to choose to invest in or not early on. So it's just like paving a road. It just happens to be digital. On the panel earlier, someone asked a question about when panelists expect to see autonomous vehicles on the road. And you made a point about watching insurance actuary tables. I wonder if you can elaborate on that. It was a great question. And on the panel, the the response that I shared was, we don't have a crystal ball. And there's lots of different hypotheses about when level four and level five autonomous technology will arrive in mass market. But I've always believed and I continue to believe that insurance and the the risk weighting of us as human drivers versus um, digital drivers will push us toward autonomy faster. Um, it's very hard today for an insurance company to know is system A or system B a better autonomous driver? Just not enough data points yet. There are companies starting to work on that now. Um, They're very good at anticipating how we are as human drivers and understanding how bad we are. And and on the panel we talked about, there's at least 35,000 Americans die in a car crash every year. 
I think that as society, we will say no more and the insurance uh, pressures and costs that will be associated with driving will also accelerate the arrival of this technology. Well, Jessica, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. Subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or Google Play, where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help other listeners find out about us. If you have an idea for a guest or a topic that you'd like to hear on the podcast, we'd love to hear your suggestions. Please email them to editor at acg.org. I'd also encourage you to check out our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, for more content covering the middle market, private capital investment, and trends in middle market M&A.